All right, good morning, church. Morning, it's good to see you guys this morning. Like John said, last night we did team night, and it was tons and tons of fun. So we plan on doing that again quarterly. So if you're on a team and you weren't able to make this one, I encourage you to get on a team and, uh, and then make the next one because it's, it's a lot of fun. As we get started today, I want to tell you a story that just kind of impacted my life, that just kind of shaped and changed the way I viewed things. Um, I was um, at a pastor's conference down in uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, with a bunch of friends, and they get together like every four years. They put on this conference for the pastors, and you know, myself and Leah were there, and uh, we had a bunch of other friends and pastors that were there, and we went out to eat at a Brazilian steakhouse. I had never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, but for those of you that don't know, Brazilian steakhouse got all the meats. I mean, it's got like all the meats. Okay, it's not a vegetarian-friendly place, and that's okay. They have places like that, like Panera Bread for you. But for us, the Brazilian Steakhouse is legit. Okay, I've never been. It was awesome. I had no idea what to expect. And they came in, and they had, you know, the big skewers, the place we went. I've only been one time. It was this time. But they came in with these big skewers, and they, like, had the skewers starting. The guy held it on his shoulder, and it was just meat all the way down. And he would, like, he'd come up and be like, sir, filet mignon. I'd be like, filet mignon, right? <laughs> And then put my plate, he'd give me some, right? And then you just do this with everything, like, sir, T bone. <laughs> Absolutely, T bone, right? And then by the end of it, you got the meat sweats because you've had so much food, it's not even funny. Uh, but this was it, was, it was a great, great time. But for those of you that have been to those steakhouses before, it's a big bill just to get in there because it's kind of like an all you can eat buffet of really high quality meat. So you, it's, it's pretty expensive. And I'm sitting there, and, you know, Leah and I kind of planned, you know, we're going to. We're going to pay for ourselves. We're going to, you know, do all that stuff. We're sitting around, and probably like about 20 of us, because it was pastors and their wives or their husbands hanging out there. And then uh, my friend got up and paid for the whole bill at the end, the whole thing. And I was like, daggone. Wow. Uh, I didn't know you were like that. And uh, what church do you work for? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't ask him that there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, he, he, he did that. And then the part that even blew my mind even more was, uh, you know, another friend of mine at the table got together and he said, well, you know, we'll, I'll cover the tip. And then he throws out $150 for a tip. And at first I saw $150. I was like, oh, wow. And then he was the second 50. I was like, goodness gracious. And then I saw the third 50. I was like, I'm with the wrong crowd. I don't know. I don't belong here. This is not right. I grew up in a trailer park, y'all. This is so strange. <laughs> but what's really, what was really cool is, is I knew those individuals and I knew them and they were my friends. And what was so cool was they were able to be irrationally generous with their life. And, and what was so powerful was the phrase that my friend said as he threw out the, the last $50 and he gave it to the waitress. He said, you keep the change. He said, you keep the change. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I keep the change, bro. You <laughs> give me some, right? But it, he, he just wanted to honor and thank the waitress and her team for, for putting on just an amazing, amazing dinner for us. So as he goes through this process, I sat back and I thought, man, I want to be like that. I want to be, like, not necessarily I want to make all that money. I mean, I'm down, Lord, if you want. But <laughs> It's more along the lines of I want to be able to be a keep the change kind of person, right? I mean, I want to be a keep the change kind of person where I'm not so concerned about holding on for dear life all the time, but I'm able to, to 
do that with my friends. I'm able to, to do that and bless a, a somebody who's a waitress or something like that. I would love to, to do what I, what I called was like a rational generosity. He didn't need to pay for all of our, our meals. He didn't get anything out of that. But he just wanted to, and he'd been preparing, and when we talked to him, you know, he was like, yeah, no, I prepare, and I have this in place that this is something that we want to do. So I kept it in my head. I said, I want to be a keep-the-change kind of person. That's what I want to do. So then we set out, and we set a goal to be that type of people. And uh, here's something I know about you, even though I may not have had this conversation with you. You want to be a keep-the-change kind of person, too. You certainly don't want to be a greedy person. None of us in here want to be greedy. Absolutely not. In fact, if we were to list the things we hate the most, it would probably be hypocrites and then greedy people would probably be on there somewhere. So I'm certain none of us in the room want to be greedy at all. But in order to be that level of generosity and in order to, to operate in that capacity, then, then we have to probably change the way we view money and change the way we handle money. And right away, the temperature in the room dropped. Everybody's like, oh, man. Man, I should have skipped this week. I'm not telling you how many weeks it is, so you can't skip all of them, okay? But I get it. So over, over the next few weeks, not going to tell you how many, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about finances as it relates to your faith and as it relates to God. But everybody hears that and they go, well, wait a second, Brandon. I don't need any help managing money, and I certainly don't feel like talking about it in the church. I mean, there's just, there's no business talking about it in the church. Money is between me and my spouse, okay, or maybe just me and my bank account, but I, I certainly don't need God involved in all of that. I, I kind of just, you know, I'd really like it if when I pray that, uh, because you all have prayed about money at some point, I'm, I'm certain you've prayed about money. So that means you've wanted God involved in your finances. But it's interesting that sometimes we pray about money and we want God involved in our finances, but then when the time comes, we're like, oh, no, but not like that, Lord. I don't want to do biblical money management principles. So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Because here's the reality of this whole thing. And this is why it's important, and this is why I can't skip it, and why I can't avoid talking about money, is because Jesus didn't avoid talking about it. And if Jesus talks about it, I'm going to talk about it. And if that ain't your jam, this ain't your church, because we about Jesus here. So if he talks about it, we're going to talk about it. So, in fact, Jesus actually speaks more and tells more parables about money than he does about heaven. He does that on purpose. He does that on purpose because this is the reality of it. Money is part of your relationship with God. And a lot of times people hear that and they go, no, 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 no. My money's my relationship between me and my wallet or me and my spouse. My spouse and I, we are the ones that that's, that's the relationship. That's where money belongs. It doesn't belong God doesn't need to be involved in it at all. But Jesus spoke so much on it that we can see an obvious parallel between our money and our relationship with God. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. The offering plates are not coming back around. Okay? Everybody take a deep breath. We're not asking for money. Okay? The offering plates aren't coming back around at all. What I'm going to do over the next few weeks is we are going to talk specifically about what Jesus says about and how we should manage and care for our money, okay? So everybody can relax. We're not doing a big offering at the end of this. We're not raising money for something. This isn't a capital campaign. This is simply, I want something for you. Jesus wants something for you, and it's why he talked about it and why he taught about it. So we all all right? Yeah. Okay, good. We're still, we're still here. Now, in order to be 
keep the change kind of people because that's our goal in this series. We want to learn how to be keep the change kind of people. In order to do that, we have to understand the purpose of money. Because you sit back and you hear God, you know, we hear this idea that we're not supposed to be greedy and we're supposed to be generous and we're supposed to do all these things, right? But then you sit back and maybe, maybe you've thought like I have. God, why did you even create money? I mean, why is this part of, why did the economic system begin to function this way? I mean, come on, Lord, what, what's, the, um, what's, the, what's the deal here? What's the purpose? What's your purpose with money? Well, believe it or not, Jesus answers that in a parable. One of his, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that parables. And one of the parables that many of us read, we breeze over, and it's, it can be confusing at first, but it's a significant one because it's, it talks about the purpose of money. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to start Luke chapter 16 in verse 1. So on your Bibles, your Bible app, your, your iPad, whatever, and if you need pens, you've got pens at the front of your seats, you've got note cards, I want you guys to take notes about this. So Luke chapter 16, if you're there, somebody say word. Word, word of the Lord. All right. So Jesus told his disciples, when he says his disciples, he's teaching in a big group, okay? This is not just the 12. In this sense, he's teaching to a large group. So these are just people that are following Jesus, okay? So these are people who've decided that Jesus is their guy, he's their rabbi, they're following him. He talks to the, this group of disciples, and he begins to tell a parable, which is a, a made-up story. And what you got to understand about these parables is Jesus leans into the extremes, he leans into the extremes because he wants you to understand the purpose and why he's teaching, okay? So in the parable, you're looking for principles, okay? So that's what we're looking for. When you're reading a parable, you're looking for principles. Also, when you're reading a parable, there is a God character, there is a you character, okay? There's always a God character, there's always a you character. You can also tell when it's a parable because sometimes it'll say, Jesus began telling this parable. Your heading in your Bible, if you have a headings in your Bible, it'll say that. It'll tell you a parable of whatever it is. But then you know because Jesus doesn't give any names for people in the parable. Every parable, he just said, there was a man, there was a woman, there was this time, there was a farmer, there was this. He just, he just kind of, you know, kind of broad strokes it. It's like if you sat down and you go, you know, it's kind of like when we, you know, when you're driving like this, like he's sitting down like that. He's using it as an example. So Luke chapter 16, verse 1 says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So there's this rich man. Remember, this is a made-up story. Jesus is using this to illustrate a point. There's this rich man who's appointed a money manager. Not necessarily that he, he was not able to manage his money. He was simply appointed a money manager so he could focus on other things, so he could manage and do other things. So this manager is kind of doing deals on the side. You know, he's taking the, the um, money that's not his and he's using it uh, dishonestly in some sort of different way. So the master, the, man, the owner, finds out about it. And he, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Because you've been dishonest with what I've given you. You haven't been faithful with what I've given you. So since, since you haven't done what I've asked you to do, and you're kind of doing deals on the side, I mean, I've heard about it. We've heard about it in town. You know, you know Jerry, talk to me, man. I can't believe you made that kind of deal. No way, dude. So like he, the, the rich man pulls him in and says, okay, you need to wrap up the books. We're done. You're done doing it. We're done doing the money management thing. You're done. Bring me the notebook. 
close the accounts, let's get ready to go because I'm not dealing with it anymore. It's like if you had a business manager or a financial manager in your business or you were paying somebody to manage your personal finances and then you found out they were taking $10, $15 off the top and investing it in their own thing they were doing. It's something like that. So the money manager, the, the owner's like, no, we're done. You're done. Wrap it up, finish the books, and bring me the book. So the manager said to himself, because he's got a problem now, right? He's got a problem. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm an inside guy. I don't do that outside stuff, right? I'm an accountant. Accountants don't dig wells, okay? That's what he says. I'm an accountant. I don't do that kind of thing. So there's no job that feels out there. And then um, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So I got my pride. I'm a prideful guy. I'm not going to go beg. That's certainly not going to happen. I'll know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, because I'm currently losing it, it's happening because of the actions that I had before. When I lose my job here, he says, people will welcome me into their houses. So he takes advantage and he says, I'm going to leverage my current situation and my current resources and the current relationships I have for my future. Because I know Bad things is happening because of the decisions that I made. So verse 5 tells us, so he called in each of his master's debtors, which his master is a rich man, probably had quite a few because that was common. So he calls in each one of his master's debtors, and we just hear about two. And then he asks the first one, he says, how much do you owe my master? The guy says, well, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil, which was a lot of money back in those days. It's a lot of olive oil anyway. And the master told him, well, uh, the manager told him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And just like that, cuts it right in half. For those of you that aren't math people, that's in half, okay? It's okay. I'm not a math person either. I had to add it together. So he says, take your bill, sit down quickly, sit down quickly, because there's the time thing involved here, because, I mean, I'm losing my job, and uh, there's a limited amount of time I have here, so you need to sit down quickly, sit down quickly, and just cut it in half. And you can imagine the manager is like, okay, just sit down, cut it down. And then the guy who owes the money is like, man, that's so generous. Thank you so much. You know what? Hey, hey, if, if you ever need anything, come on, you guys know people. If you ever need anything, you know, I mean, if you, anytime you need anything, you need a business, you know, come on. Hey, come and talk to me. I'll help you out any way that I can. To which the manager goes, just might do that. I just might do that. And then he tells us about the second. He asked the second man, and how much do you owe? And the guy said, a thousand bushels of wheat. And so the manager told him, he said, take your bill and make it 800. Just take 200 off the top. No, 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 no reason. I just kind of want to be generous. I'm just a generous guy. I just, I just want to, you know, just for you, take it and put it towards something good. You know, I don't know. Take your wife out to dinner. Just go ahead and take it out. It's not a big deal. Just go ahead and do it. And you can imagine, again, the debtor is like, whoa, man, thank you. Man, thank you so much. And in this culture, it's exactly how we feel, right? We feel here, and we're like, if you're in the position of debtor, you would hear that. Like, if your bank called you, imagine this. Your bank called you, and the owner of the bank calls, and he says, hey, you know what? Um, we just went ahead and just cut your mortgage in half. Yeah, right? Come on. We'd be like, on. If you ever need anything, friend, right? And so that's the experience that the debtors have. So he's putting in and he's leveraging his current resources and his current situation and the limited amount of time he has. He's leveraging that for his future. Now, the people in the audience are thinking what we're thinking. He's a crook. 
I mean, he's using money that's not even his to leverage for his own benefit. And what got him in this whole problem was he was dishonest to begin with. So he's using dishonesty to then cover up his dishonesty. And everybody in the audience, just like everybody in this room now, is sitting back going, man, when the master finds out, he's in trouble. I mean, he may be arrested. He might be killed. I don't know. But everybody in the audience in Jesus' time, he's stringing them along. And Jesus is like, come on. Pay attention, pay attention. And everybody's leaning in, like, oh man, I can't wait till the master finds out. And the master, Jesus continues, everybody's on the edge of their seat, the master. The master, he says, commended the dishonest manager. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Hold on a second. Maybe, may, maybe you got confused, Jesus, uh, but these parable things. Um, they're supposed to like illustrate you know, a God character and then a me character. And, and in these parables, Jesus, you're supposed to explain something. Um, and maybe I walk away more confused than that happens. Uh, but, but you're not supposed to have the bad guy win. I mean, the guy who's the crook is not supposed to be honored at the end of it. I mean, in fact, Jesus, come on, that, that's not the way the world works. Uh, or at least it's not the way we want the world to work. So, so, so Jesus, hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense. That can't be... Right. The bad guy, the crook, the guy who's dishonest is not supposed to win. In fact, Jesus, you even said it in the text. You said the dishonest manager. You said he commended the dishonest manager. That doesn't make any sense. That's just, that's just so confusing. To which I think, I think Jesus would say, I think he would say, hold, hold, hold on. You don't know why he's being commended. You don't know why he's being commended. So he continues. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, shrewdly. Now, this is a word that we don't use very often, but we should more. But shrewdly, this Greek word that's in the text right there, it simply means wisely, sensibly. They planned prudently. It was intentional. So he says they acted shrewdly. This man acted shrewdly. He recognized that he had a limited amount of time and a limited amount of resources. That's what Jesus is commending. That's what the master is commending. That's the point Jesus is pulling out of the parable. Not that the man was dishonest. We read this parable and we just go, that's confusing. And then we walk away. But what Jesus was acknowledging was the fact that this man made very wise decisions with his limited amount of time and his limited amount of resources. Very wise decisions with both. So the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Four, so Jesus pulls out of the parable. He just explained the parable. He ends with the commanded. Now Jesus is back out. He's teaching the crowd again. He told the story. Now we've shifted to the explanation. Everybody with me? All right, so Jesus continues. He says, four, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are people of the light. Let me explain this. For the people of this world, which is people who are non-believers, okay, or people that were not Israelites at the time or non-Jews at the time, didn't have God in their life. So for us, that translates to people who don't believe that there's an afterlife, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who aren't following Jesus. So for the people of this world are more shrewd, more wise, more prudent, more plan, they plan more, they care more, they pay more attention to in dealing with their own kind than with people of the light, meaning the believers. His sense is this, that, um, that people who ha do not believe in eternity or people who do not factor eternity into their life make better decisions with their money and their life than people who 
say they factor eternity into their life. He says, wait a second, the people who say that all there is to this life is this life, they act more shrewdly with their resources and with their time than I've seen people who don't believe that. To which every one of us should sit back and go, well, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Because shouldn't we kind of leverage everything here for the benefit of our heavenly Father? And now Jesus gives us a peek behind the curtain because he understands the tension he just introduced. He understands the tension he just put into the room, the tension he just put into his first century and his 21st century audience. He understands that. So he's going to expand on it just a little bit. He says, I tell you, meaning if you're a Jesus follower, this is a command. Okay, this is just a command. I wish that I could find another way to do it. But in the Greek, that is, it's a definitive definitive way to start a sentence. He means very seriously, I tell you. Not like a, if you feel like it. Not like a, well, you know, if, if, you, if, if you're feeling good about it, you know, or if, uh, if it works out in your timeline, if you're comfortable with it, that's not what he says. And I'm not saying this, these are, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth as if there's some other kind. But you've asked that question, then you're on to something because he's going to talk about it in a second. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And again, this is the part in the parable where we go, I'm not sure what that means. Moving on to the next one, right? <laughs> and it's tough, to, it's tough to explain because the implications, what's, so, what's so, so difficult is that Jesus made the implications so obvious that we blow right by it. And I blew right by it multiple times. But the implication is that what we have now in this world, the money we have now, the resources we have now, everything we have right now in this world, the implication is that we can and it can, and the way we manage it can have an eternal difference. Meaning that it's not all for you and it's not all for me. That the way we handle our resources could, depending on how we decide to do that, lead to an eternal difference. And you go, okay, Brandon, how does that work? What's the formula? Look, Jesus didn't give the formula. I don't know. And people sit back and go, well, what's the percentage I need to give? Look, we can talk about that. We're going to talk about the tithe at some point. But Jesus doesn't say that in this parable. He doesn't talk about it here. What he talks about is that he talks about a heart mindset. He wants people to shift their mindset and go, wait a second, hold on a second. What I have can be, can be used to make an eternal difference. Now, his point is uncomfortable because that means that if we're followers of Jesus, that we should, and again, this is Jesus saying this, not me, that we should make all of our wealth available to him, not to the church. I didn't say to the church. I said available to him. That means that we can't sit there and say, Lord, I'm going to isolate you to just this 10%. You guys have heard the teaching of the 10%. If you return the 10%, then the other 99, the other 90% is yours. Um, that's, a, that's an Old Testament principle, and we're going to explore that in this series. Don't worry. But the, the problem with that is, is that assumes some of it's yours. And Jesus doesn't say that. He actually implies that all of it is his. It's a lot easier when it's just a 10%. It's a lot harder when the prayer becomes not, God, I gave 10%, now you got to bless the 90. That's an easy prayer. A harder prayer is, Lord, it's all yours. What would you have me do with it? 
that changes the way you look at your money, that changes the way you look at your life, that changes the way you handle and manage every paycheck that comes in, that changes the way you view your pocketbook, that changes the way you live when you begin to realize that it's all available to him instead of the 10%. Again, we're going to talk about the tithe, and I think the tithe is important, and we tithe, my family, we tithe to the church. I think it's important. We're going to talk about that later, but this is a heart check that Jesus is asking, and he's making the point, wait a second, you can make eternal differences if you recognize it's all available to be used. So our question was, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of money? Well, there's a few different things. Money is a tool. That's his point, that the money you have and the money that I have is a tool that can be used to make an eternal difference. Now, I put an illustration together because it'd make life a little easier, and it's something that we should probably see. This is a very simple screwdriver. Not a screwdriver. It's not a screwdriver. This is, this is a drill. Thank you. I've used one, I promise. I came in earlier and I was putting these in and Mike in the back goes, are you just screwing those in and back out? What are you doing? I was like, it's an illustration. He thought I was practicing with my drilling. I wasn't. <laughs> my point is, and the point that Jesus makes is money is a tool. And if you use a tool the right way, amazing things can happen, right? And when it's used the right way, good things happen. When it's not used the right way, I don't want to say bad things happen but they don't happen the way they're supposed to, right? So these are simple nails and these are screws. So if I use this the right way, which is I have the screw head on, I'm on there, and then I just go straight down, I'm sinking it. Don't worry, I tested it. It's not going to drill into my table. I know some of the men were like, he's going to drill into that table. He's not. He tested it. He tested it. That's what Mike was making fun of me for. Now, a nail, has anybody ever tried to drill a nail with a, with a screw gun? Anybody? It don't work. I'll show you. Watch. Here we go. Flat on it. It doesn't. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Now, I can use this tool in a different way. I can take it and make it a hammer. I'm not doing this because this is my personal drill. But I can swing it like a hammer, and try to drive that nail in. Will it work? Yes, it will work, kind of. It'll get in there. It'll probably ruin the drill. But it's much easier, and things work a lot better when I'm using it the way it's intended. And when I'm using it the way it's intended, I can build something. But I can't do that if I'm not using the tool correctly. If I'm not using the tool correctly, I can't achieve much. I can get there. It's possible. Like I said, I can take it and I can hammer those suckers down in, right? I can do that. But it's not its intended purpose. So it's not going to reach the end goal. And again, the intended purpose of money is to make an eternal difference. And it can make an eternal difference if we leverage it and we understand and we manage it the right way. And the first step to that is recognizing that your money and my money is a tool to be used in the appropriate way. We don't want to use it the wrong way. So I'm going to throw this question out. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You can write it down, and you can ask yourself this later this week. And you should actually, I would encourage, if you're married, that you have this conversation on the way home from church, that you have this conversation at some point this week. You just ask this question, and you two ask yourselves this question honestly, if you're followers of Jesus. How can I leverage 
more of what I have to make an eternal difference? How can I leverage, how can we leverage more of what we have, more of what I have, to make an eternal difference? And the question is so uncomfortable, and we don't like it, and we want to press away from it. But the truth is, if we're Jesus followers, that's going to make something special happen inside of us. We're going to talk about that more next week. But I encourage you, ask that question. How can I leverage more of what I have to make an eternal difference? Leah and I did this a couple years ago, quite a few years ago, actually. What we did is we began, we decided right out the rip, we were going to have 10% 10 of all of our income goes directly to the church because we love the local church. We believe in supporting the local church. We believe in the mission of the local church. But then we decided we were going to have 1% that went to a generosity fund. That generosity fund was just whatever we were going to pour into above and beyond the, the 10%. So we would take it, and we, we put extra, sometimes we put extra money to this building project. Other times we put extra money towards some friends that were going through some hard times. Other times we would just use it as like a gift fund to where we saw something that we knew would really bless or honor somebody. We would, we would have the money set aside to pick it up for them, or if we knew somebody was searching for something and we saw it at the store, we had the money to do it with. And that was our generosity fund. Sometimes we, would, we used it to sponsor kids to send them to NTS camp. We've used it to, spot, to help out with supplies before. It's just something that we decided we were going to do, and we decided ahead of time. And I can tell you honestly, because we made the decision, it's not ours. We're managers of it. It's not ours. It's all God's. So we were going to make the, we were going to, instead of having stuff, because everybody likes stuff. Look, I like stuff, Okay. I like the newest iPhone. I like having a house. I like having a cool car. I like having all those things. I like stuff. But what I found is when I trade stuff for stories, I like the stories a lot better. I like the stories a whole lot better. When I began to realize that God could use my finances and my money to make an eternal difference in people's lives, all of a sudden that was a game changer. I was like, hold on a second. You mean I've been holding this back this whole time? Lord, what would you have me do? And every time he's provided for our needs, we're going to talk about that in this series too, that he provides for your needs. But when we begin to view it as, hey, this is actually, Lord, this is yours. And I'm just holding it for a period of time. And Jesus continues because he wants to make a point. And this is where he talks about ownership and it makes us all uncomfortable. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You're like, look, I ain't, got, I ain't got much, okay? They have a lot. I don't have a lot. Like, I mean, I can't be dishonest with the very little that I have. And his point, again, is not necessarily that it's yours. His point is that it's his. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, the money we have here, the finances, resources we have here, who will trust you with true riches, we go, what does that mean? His point is this, is that money is a test. And you're like, oh, man, I really don't like this sermon. Can you finish it, please? Can you just finish this? Because I am done with this, Brandon. That our money is a test. Are we going to use it? And this is such an uncomfortable question, but I have to ask it. Are we going to use our money and our resources to build our kingdom this is for the Jesus followers in the room. If you're not a Jesus follower, you get off the hook. I can't tell you what to do. Jesus can't tell you what to do. If you follow Jesus, it's a question you need to wrestle to the ground. Am I going to use and leverage my money to build my personal kingdom? Or am I going to build 
God's kingdom. And again, that doesn't mean, like this is not Brandon saying, give it all to the church, give it all to charities. Like, no, that's not it. The God, God knows you need to eat. God knows you need a house. God knows you need a car. He knows all those things. So he's not surprised by it. It's a heart thing. If you're not going to recognize that it's all his and it's available for him, then how can he trust you with eternal riches? Because money is a test. Are you going to invest in yourself or are you going to invest in whatever God calls you to invest? And then build his kingdom. He says this, and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And that makes us uncomfortable. Because the truth is, and this is what I hope you get out of this whole thing, is that you are a manager of God's finances. You're not the owner. You go, Brandon, I have worked my whole life for this. What are you talking about? I'm not the owner. Well, are you taking it with you? Has anybody get to take it with them? I mean, we'll bury it with you, sure. But eventually, what you have in your bank account is not going to be yours anymore, and it's going to be your daughter's, it's going to be your son's, it's going to go to your cousin, it's going to go to your brother, it's going to go to a charity, it's going to go to the church, it's going to go somewhere. Because when you die, you don't get to take it with you. So if you don't get to take it with you, then do you own it? Because this is mine, I get to take it with me when I leave the church. I get to take it. But if you don't get to take your money with you when you die, is it really yours? No, it's not. And again, we all feel like, oh, man, I can't believe I came to church today. I knew I should have skipped. I was going to sleep in. You mean I came in for this? But if this is uncomfortable and creating a tension, then I believe that, that Jesus might want to do a work inside of your heart. Because I can't explain how much. I, I, can, I, can, I can put myself in your position. I've been in your position. When my pastor stood up there almost seven or eight years ago and taught this principle and taught this idea that it's all available to God, and then he, he taught the idea of living, giving 10%, saving 10%, and then living on 80%, I was like, what am I going to eat, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Like, that's crazy. And when I first heard this, this idea of making it all available to God, I was like, that's irrational. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. But I can tell you, and we did it slowly over time. It didn't happen overnight. It was something we worked years at getting. But when we finally got to the place where we were living our life that way, and we recognized, God, this is all yours, and at any point you could tell me to do something with it, and the answer will be, yes, teach me how, not no, it's mine. When we came to that place, something happened inside of us. Fear was not part of my vocabulary anymore when it came to money. It's not mine. I'm not worried. God's going to provide. He's going to. He always does. He's always going to provide. Doesn't mean we don't have hard times. He's just going to take care of it. I just know because it's his, he's going to take care of it. And I know because I'm his, he's going to take care of me. The struggle is that we have been told our whole lives that you're the owner of it. That's not true. You're the manager of it. That's why in the parable, if you haven't figured it out, God is the master, you're the manager. That was Jesus' point, that we get to manage it here. You can't take it with you. And then Jesus ends it with this, and this is one of the most uncomfortable verses we've ever read. In fact, we skip over it, and some preachers avoid it, but I can't because it's the words of Jesus. He says, no one, that means nobody, no one. Just in case we're confused, 
It's not different language in the Greek. It's no one. Somebody say no one. No. Can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. And here's the uncomfortable line that we wish we could just blot out of the Bible, that we wish we could redact, we wish we could kind of block it out and remove it. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Meaning you cannot build my kingdom and also build your own. If you build mine, I'll take care of yours. But if you just focus on building yours, then I'm not your master. Something else is your master. And God knew the chief competitor for your heart would be your pocketbook. That's why Jesus taught on money so much, and I don't know why the church doesn't teach on it more. It makes us all uncomfortable. I'll tell you why. I don't like teaching on it. I wish I could avoid it. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could just sit up here and tell you Jesus loves you every Sunday. Just make it easy. I'll teach John 3.16 every week. But I can't do that. Because that's not being a good pastor. That's not, that's not stewarding God's word. He says nobody can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question is, okay, Brandon, I'm down. I'm so for that. Like, I'm, I'm there. I recognize it's not all mine. But I don't even know the first step to move in that direction. What's the first step if I'm going to move in that direction? How do I do that? What does that look like? The first step is an action point I want you to do this week. So if, you're, if that's you and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, God, it's all available to you. I'm the manager. Lord, you're the owner. If that's you and you've decided and you said, yes, this is me, that's what I want to do, and you're ready to do that, the first thing you need to do this week is you need to track it. Find out where your money is going. Find out where your money is going. Because as managers, you can't manage money well if you don't know where it's going, right? I mean, if you pulled in your financial advisor and you said, so where's, where's my money going this week? And they said, you know what? I don't know. Let me pull that spreadsheet up and see if I can figure it out. I'm not really sure. Let me run a couple numbers real quick and see if this happens. You would be furious. I'm not saying God's furious, but let's think about it from his perspective. If we sit back and we begin to decide we're going to be good managers, and that means we have to track it. We have to know where it goes. So if that's you this week and you say, yes, I'm going to do that, I encourage you to track it. Leah and I track it. We track it all the time, okay? Because you value those things. So those of us that sit back and go, man, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. There's plenty of spreadsheets and resources and all sorts of things out there for you to use. All sorts of things out there for you to use. Because I want you to track it, find out where it's going. And if you say, yeah, 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 no, I track it, but I just haven't reviewed it in a year, review it. Review it this week. Find out where is this money going actually? Where is it going? What's it going to? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a point that's kind of our theme verse for this whole series. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, which is his biggest gathering that he's talking and teaching to people, he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So this week, the only action point I want you to do, if you're ready and you're like, I want to be a keep the change kind of person, I want to recognize God is the owner, I'm the manager, I want you to track it. Because as soon as you get to the end, you get to Friday, you will see where your heart is. Because again, God knew the chief competitor for your heart. The chief competitor for your heart 
would be your pocketbook. So, if we're going to be keep the change kind of people, and I think we all want to, we have to know where it's going. We have to recognize that money is a tool to be used in the right way to build his kingdom the way he wants it to be. But the only way that happens is if we open our hands and say, Lord, it's all yours. And whatever you want to do, the answer is yes, teach me how. Not no, it's mine. So, track it. And we'll pick up right there next week in part two of Keep the Change.